When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Up and Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we check in with California upland hunter Ruben Mata. Welcome back to the show for episode number 113. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Yukonuba dog. I don't know about you all, but I'm ready to hit the woods and the fields and the short grass prairie with my dogs. And they are fueled by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. 
from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. They've got pumps. They've got semi-autos. Head over to cz-usa.com to learn more about all their shotguns. And by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One-piece rotomold design. Frame steel door. Simple, safe, effective. Everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to dakota283.com and use the promo code PU10 to save 10% on your next kennel purchase. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Jerry B. Jerry left us a review in the iTunes podcast app. Love when people do that. It really helps out the show, helps us get discovered. Thank you, Jerry. Project Upland t-shirt headed his way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave the show a rating. Leave us a review in your podcast app. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast or send us some feedback or a suggestion. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, all I have for announcements today are that tomorrow is September 1st, which aside from our friends up in Alaska who are already hard at it, September marks the beginning of the fall season for many of us. We are about to kick this thing off. We'll have plenty more to come from Project Upland this fall. Stay tuned in, and when you're not tuned in, I hope you are out chasing birds in the uplands. All right, this week's guest is Ruben Mata, California native and upland bird hunter, recently featured in a Project Upland original film titled This Exists. The film came out last week. Ruben and I got connected to touch base on his upland hunting story that is portrayed in the film. We dove a little bit deeper on some of his inspirations, his origins, the things he likes to do, the birds he pursues, his bird dogs. We cover all that and more. Head over to projectupland.com. Definitely check out the film This Exists for a look at California quail hunting in partnership with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, Ruben Mata. I already had two beers today, so I'm going to grab another one. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, me too. Do it. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Ruben Mata. How'd I do? Perfect. It's not like when I was graduating and they said Ruben Mata, so <laughs> he did a lot better than they did. I will say I kind of cheated. I watched the Project Upland film yesterday and I heard you pronounce it. Normally I would ask my guests how to pronounce their last name, so I oh, try to get that right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> how are you, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Appreciate it. I thank you for joining us on the Project Upland podcast. Looking forward to chatting. And like I said, I, I saw the film yesterday. It dropped, um, not yesterday, it dropped the night before, I think, if I remember correctly. But it's out, Upland Hunting, California. You're yes, getting all sir. kinds of messages and um, phone calls. You know what? More more than more than I thought. You know, it's <laughs> you know, from my perspective, it was definitely something that I'm used to. You know what I mean? And and it's funny to see everybody's input on how much they love the video. Yeah. But thanks for having me. By the way, I appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine. No, absolutely, man. It's uh, I like I said, looking forward to this and. You know, I'm extremely biased towards the the films that we do at Project Upland, and uh, that was Will that came out and shot that one, it right? It was, it yeah. was. We we obviously have some incredibly talented filmmakers that Absolutely. that do our work, and and Will is Will is certainly one of them, and just I don't know the way that he captures scenery always. 
it, man, I wasn't there to experience it, and I know like nothing would replace that. But boy, does he do a good job of capturing like the setting and the scenery. So you know, I was kind of worried. I saw him. He's 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 a very slim slim guy, and I was like, oh, dude, this guy's gonna die out here. And <laughs> Matt uh, Harden had told me he goes, oh, dude, this guy. If I could climb what I'm I'm climbing, he does it tenfold. Like he could do it no problem. So when he was out there, and I was, you know. I'm not in the best shape, but I, I do it enough to know what to expect. You're in you game know? shape. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm, I get to the top of a hill and I'm like winded and he's already with the camera gear all set up. I was like, oh, okay. And let me turn around, you know, so I don't look like a, you know, like I'm completely out of shape in front of the camera. So, yeah, no, no, he's a good guy, man. He's he's awesome. His, his skill set is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, we'll we'll dive into this here, but tell us a little bit about. Give us an idea of where you're at. Yeah, on the West Coast. And- I am on the West Coast. Um, I am north of Los Angeles in a county uh, by the name of Ventura, Ventura County, and we're between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. If that's kind of a a, a pretty good idea out here, next to the beach. I'm I'm literally 15 minutes away from the beach. Yeah, that so it's sounds, awesome. We, sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, we have a nice breeze, you know, and, and, and it's hard um, leaving an area like this. You know, it, it is expensive. Everybody says California is expensive. It is. It yeah. is, but we definitely pay for the weather, and, and, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you have you lived there, your that place, your whole life? Did Not it? here. Okay. Um, I was born in East L.A., Los Angeles. And uh, we moved up to uh, Santa Paula when I was about seven years old. And then Santa Paula is a city that's about 20 minutes away from Oxnard, from where I'm at now. Okay. And, um, yeah, I turned 18, uh, moved to Ventura, and then met my wife. We married. We bought a house, and we've been here ever since. And you're a diesel mechanic, right? I am. I am a diesel mechanic. I've been doing this since I was 17. How'd you pick that up? Was that a was that a family thing? It, well, I mean, growing up poor, you didn't have a choice but to fix your own stuff. All right. So, um, me and my dad, you know, I was out there always bothering him. I was the kid holding the flashlight and getting chewed out because I saw something else. You know, I was that meme. Getting and, dirty. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I have always had a a thing for it. And I always liked that it. it piqued my interest and. One thing led to another. I I found out that diesels make a lot more power than gasoline engines. You know, more power. <laughs> so uh, Tim Toolman Taylor, and um, yeah, and I've been doing it for what's how old am I? Thirty four now. Since I was diesel mechanic, since I was nineteen years old. You yeah. say you're thirty four. I am thirty four. Right on. Me too, man. Oh, nice, perfect. <laughs> Same age. Uh, you work on trucks, big rigs. Big rigs. Okay. So right uh, now I I work for a, a power company. So like um, okay, uh, you know they replace the power poles and all that stuff. And yeah, I work so on like the, the big the like the high line trucks and everything. Yes, sir. All right, exactly. Cool. And the cranes, all that stuff, all the, all the big big toys. Does that uh, does that job give you some give, give you some time off in, in um, hunting season? And, uh, yeah, because I have vacation, so they don't have a choice, all right, all right. you know, but uh, <laughs> luckily now, like I'm in a point in my life where I, I'm able to to take the time off, you know what I yeah. mean? And uh, cool. But when we're busy, we're busy. There was a, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a big fire come through here and pretty much lost that whole season because we oh, were I working bet. that yeah. storm and, and yep. stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I get, I could 
whatever I can, I take, and, and that's about it. Yeah. So the film, that was definitely shot last year, right? No, it was shot in January, late season quail. Okay, so very early 2020. Very early 2020. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. Well, where are we at as far as season goes for you right now? Are you coming right up? Are you knocking on the door of hunting season, or you still got a little bit of time yet? So uh, quail openers on Tuesday. Oh, it is? September 1st? Um, yeah, September 1st okay. out here. All right, cool. And then uh, quails October 15th, 18th, I can't remember correctly, right there somewhere. And um, doves open on September 1st. Is that what you meant? Correct. Dove okay. open September 1st. Gotcha. And, and then, then quail uh, is later. Yeah, quail's uh, 17th. Okay. So uh, that's, that's a good season, then, so you can hunt all the way into January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Late January. And, um, but, you know, doves only open for a couple of days. Is that I think it? It's 15 days or something like that. Okay. That's it. But it's open for two seasons out here. So I think the, one of them's in December. If I remember, I have to look at the at the schedule again. But we mostly just go out for a dove op- dove opener with a a big group. You know, my son's that's his thing. Dove, he don't he likes to quail hunt, but walking <laughs> beats him up, and he just he doesn't look sure. forward to it as much as Dove. Yeah, so he likes he likes shooting shotguns. Oh, I dude, imagine that kid has <laughs> been becoming a sniper with that thing. We go out. We try to, especially during the summer, with the whole COVID thing. Yeah. You couldn't do much. Luckily, some of the ranges out here were open. We were trying to go every other weekend, and I to the point where I kind of got. I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna go again. Why?" So he could just show me up and <laughs> do better than me, you know. But it, it's cool. He he loves it. He's you know, it's always a little competition between him and I. So it's fun. He loves. How old it. is your son? He's thirteen now. Thirteen. Yeah, okay. 13. So teenager. What's the what's the hunter safety thing look like right now? Is he he's done through that yes so when he got it you were supposed to do there's like two options you're able to do half of it online and a follow-up course in person okay and or there's some places that will do uh a two-day course you know it's all hands-on right there Uh but now out here in california you're able to do it all online because of the whole COVID thing. So I, I know a lot of people are taking advantage of that because, you know, places to do the hands-on around here is me and my son had to go take it in uh, Bass Pro Shops in Rancho Cucamonga. And it's like two out, two and a half hours away. Wow, so that, you had to go that yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. So we had to go that far for him to take that written test. I know that just in general, they, you know, they used to be very, very in-person. Like I think when I did it back when I was 11 or 10 or 11 or 12, whenever that was, it was, I was, had to have gone, I went to a class for a couple weeks at least and, and did that. But I know like, as far as hunter recruitment and retention goes, numbers going down, they're trying to really, really lower the barriers. And so they're making it more online. Uh, a lot of states have an apprenticeship now where if you go with somebody that has their hunter safety, you can kind of get in that way. So again, reducing the friction there, but right. even still, you know, you guys had to go two hours. Right, to do that. right. Yeah. I mean, and he wanted to, you know what I mean? It's not something that no, you that's good. Yeah. yeah. And no. I'm not going to be like, oh no, it's a two and a half hour drive. I right. Said, you know, let's, <laughs> right. let's go. You want to do it? Let's, let's do it. You know? Yeah. So I didn't yeah. take much of twisting his arm to, to get to do it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, so the film, which we'll definitely will reference, and I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes and everything, and it's out. It it definitely tells a little bit of your story, but obviously part of the reason having you on the podcast was to dive a little bit deeper. So tell me where it started for you, Ruben. Where did, how did hunting, where did the inspiration come from? How did you get interested in it? And then walk me through your journey a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, well, I wrote a story for the magazine. And it, it, that kind of, you know, same, same thing. But, uh, yep. um, you know, as a kid, you know, cartoons were big for me, you know, and, and, yeah. and Mickey Mouse and, and, and him having Pluto hunting, like I, I was just mesmerized by the whole idea. So growing up, you know, I, well, that's always in the back of my head, but accessibility in a city to go hunt is slim to none, especially having, you know, being first generation American here, you know, my parents had not even the closest clue of what to do to get me onto anything like that. But of course they would tell me out in Mexico. That's how, that's how it always is. You know, you go out in the back and to your property and you kill, you bring it home and you, you eat it. And uh, of course it ain't like that out here. Um, right. So, you know, um, later on in time, I, I, uh, school played outside with the kids and stuff like that but and we would go out fishing i was always like fishing was very easy for me to get a hold of um okay we had got a couple golf courses in town and when it was dusk and everybody was going home and stuff we would ride our bikes with their fishing poles and climb the fence <laughs> and go catch the bass and and bluegills that they had swimming around in there so we were always involved you know and um remember one time I was, uh, I think I was third. I must've been like my son's age and my uncle was a ranch hand and, uh, they had pigeons and doves all over the place and they would eat the yeah. feed and him and his buddies would go out and, uh, and shoot these pigeons out of the, out of the, the barn. And, uh, yeah. me and my cousin would go out there and, and shoot them. And, and we didn't think it was a big deal, you know? Until later on growing up, you, you know, it's completely illegal to shoot things without a license. But as a kid, like, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't realize the importance of, of having to do certain things. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, yeah, once uh, I started getting older, I started working with people that actually hunted. And I would ask them, you know, like, where do you go? And everybody's very, like, hush, hush about sure. how to start and, and all that. And, um uh, and then uh, my son was born, and my both of my boys, since they could, they were holding fishing poles in their hands. And that was, like, yeah. the first thing we would go do, and and we, we did that often. And then finally, uh, I thought it was he was old enough to start, you know, coming out with me and, and, and shooting some some birds. And uh, we started tur- turkey hunting. That's, w- that's what I, I brought him with me the most. Okay. And, you know, it was low risk. It was just a lot of hike, a lot of walk. Um, but the accessibility ex- accessibility to uh, public land yep. was difficult for me. You know, Onyx was just coming out around this time. And, and mm-hmm. you know, so it was an investment. And I, I bought it. I still didn't know how to use it then. And, you know, searching Google was, like, the number one thing to do for anything. So, yeah. um I came across this club that, you know, for a, for a yearly fee, you have all this accessibility to all this property up from Northern California to Southern California. 
you know, for a small price. It's, it wasn't a small price, but to them, yeah, of course, yeah. it was. So I did that for a couple of years, and then um, you signed up and very at little the club success. And went to the club. I, I did signed up at the club, and okay. and I did that for a couple of years. No success. It was. I mean, we saw things, but we couldn't shoot. Everything was would interlap, and if you had to go, like, let's say you were hog hunting, and and you happened to come across quail and it was within the same season you like you couldn't shoot both things it was one or the other so like like we would go for one thing right right so uh then uh for dove opener uh one year there the whole reason why i signed up for this club was because growing up in santa paula there was this ranch that everybody heard about birds like you would not believe and in that voucher the pamphlet that they gave you that ranch was on there and i was like oh no way like oh dude here take my money like um this is where i've been wanting to hunt since i could remember like let's do it so um i went there september 1st i can't remember how long ago and uh (laughs) we uh i pulled up to the gate i was supposed to meet the dude from the club there and he called me the night before and he goes hey i'm gonna be at the gate at five o'clock, we'll meet there. I'll show you the re- I'll show you the property lines and this and this and that. I was like, "Cool, man, stoked." Never showed up. Never showed up. I waited there for a while, and then this truck pulled up, and uh, they kind of looked at me all weird, you know. And they got out of the yeah. car, and uh, they were they looked at me, and I said, "Hey, are you guys with you know the club that I was with?" Sure. And they're like, uh, "No, we're with Quail Forever Ventura." We're like, "Oh, okay." And I stood there for a second. I was like, dude, like, so what do I do? Like, these guys know what the hell they're doing. You know what I mean? I'm like trying to figure this place out. Yeah. And uh, I said, can't, well, I just, I just went for it. I took my shot and I said, can I tag along with you? you guys? Mind if I tag along with you guys? And I, they did the biggest stare down that I've ever seen in my life <laughs> from head to toe. You know, and and I'm, you know, I'm the stereotype. I have tattoos all over the place and, you know, and and come to find out um, they're retired sheriffs. And I didn't know that at the time. So no they, they went back to their truck and, you know, they chit-chatted for a couple minutes and came back. Ah, okay, let's go. And we went and, you know, one of the dudes started talking about Quail Forever Ventura and like how to get involved. And, and that's it. That's, you know, the rest is history. Unreal. Yeah. So where you were, you were trying to get, you were trying to get onto this club property where those guys, was there, was it adjacent to public land? No, 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 no. So these guys have been living in that area for years, 40 plus years. So they, and and they're sheriffs. So they patrol the area and they, they help out the property owners, you know, by doing calls for them or, you know, whatever they built a relationship with them and, and that's how they have access to it, you know. So they had access on that property, right? Right, okay. and it had okay. nothing. They had nothing to do with that club. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, man. I, I just I found that to be one of the coolest parts of you. You've touched on that story a little bit in the film, and just think of how like kind of a serendipitous moment there. You know, you're there, you're trying to get into hunting, you're struggling with access, and yeah, this debacle where this dude doesn't show up and all of a sudden these other guys show up and wouldn't you know it they're from quill forever and like you said man i i was talking to this with somebody recently about how 
there are a lot of people out there that are willing to share their knowledge and share their experience. But with that said, it does take effort from the mentee's perspective. You might have to put yourself out there and you might have to make the ask like you did, Ruben. And you did. And shoot, man, I it mean, paid obviously off. you're... Yeah, it paid yeah, off, you it, know, and, and, and I think well. I, I've, I've seen where, you know, a lot of people are very not not I don't know if the word is stubborn, but you got to humble yourself. You know, these guys have been doing it for twice my age. They, you know, they've been doing it for a long, long time. And they're just yeah. knowledge. That's that's all they are. You know what I mean? They might not be the best shots. And one of my buddies might hear this and, and he knows who I'm talking about. But, you know, the knowledge is unbelievable. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you know, and growing up, my parents always taught me to respect everybody the same. And I think yeah. that goes a long way. You know what I mean? Especially when you're trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. There's definitely, there, there's a confidence that comes with experience that a mentor, you know, a, a true mentor is going to have where for you or me at a, at a point where we're trying to do something that we don't know, like, Every little thing you do, there's a decision you have to make. And those decisions like can overwhelm people. That's why you need a mentor to guide you through all of those, all those little steps. But yeah, just a, just a really unique thing to have happen. And then obviously the, the connection to Quill Forever and conservation, how, how quickly was it that they brought you into the Quill Forever fold? So September was when this happened i'd say by january i was signed up i had found the chapter <laughs> oh in. yeah i was i was i was going in full speed yeah yeah it, it, it's awesome man and you know and i i keep on telling people like if if it wasn't for organizations like like theirs you know i wouldn't be doing this you know i it's yeah. i think they they're a big part in 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 me you know, essentially like how I got into yeah. it and stuff like that. So to your point about humbling yourself though, that's something that I wanted to touch on just because I don't know if you're anything like me, Ruben, but well, you, I have an inclination you are, and it's, it's kind of a generational thing. You talked about going to Google. Mm-hmm. We know we have that resource there. So we go there, we do lots of research, research, get informed, but there's a difference between the information you pull from a source like that, Google, internet, mm-hmm. social media, whatever you want to call it these days, versus real-world experience. So it's a good thing to do that. I think it's a good thing to educate yourself and go find that information. That's why Project Upland exists, mm-hmm. to try to be a resource for people. But keep in mind when you go to talk to somebody like that, which which is what you did, Ruben, right. to – Again, humble yourself and realize that you don't know everything and right. everything everything you read might not relate to it may not relate to exactly the way your mentors are going to see things. So again, have that beginner's mind, listen more than you talk, that sort of thing. I mean, I think that can go a long way in developing a relationship with a mentor. Yeah, with anything, you know, even in my trade like what I do for a living, like sure. I get, you know, I get people that come in and and you know, you don't, I don't know everything, but I, I could figure it out. You know what I mean? And you get all these new kids right out of school that they think they, you know, they're book smart. Don't get me wrong. They, they could tell right. you how a torque spec to an M10 bolt to a three, whatever, you know, but putting it together and making it work is a whole different story. And, and the cockiness, oh my Lord is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and I, and, and they're just telling you, you know, I tell them all the time, just huh? relax. You don't know it all. I didn't know it all. I still don't know it all. You know, figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, and and I think it's hard for nowadays for people to, to be humble, you know? 
Yeah, instant gratification. Again, access to information. It's easy to, it's easy to read and read and read, listen to whatever you want to, and get to a point where you think you know everything. I mean, it's, it's almost like by no fault of their own. Like you, you can see how people can get into that situation, but it's never a bad idea to check yourself a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, try to be a listener. Right, exactly. I'm all about listening, man. I li- <laughs> I love to ask, and some people I'm sure get annoyed with it, but I don't care. You know, because it's going to benefit me at the end. Yeah. You know, so when you bumped into those two guys, did you have a did you have a bird dog at that time? I did. I did have a bird okay, dog. Okay, you did. Yeah, yeah. So how did that come about? How did I get my bird dog? Yeah, my like, wife did, let so me. So you were you were, <laughs> <laughs> you were you were interested in upland hunting, but yeah. was a bird dog something where you said, "Well, if I'm going to be an upland hunter, I got to have a bird dog." So I will say I wanted to have be an upland hunter because of a bird dog. Okay. Um, you know, like I said, Pluto, Mickey Mouse, that dog, if yeah. I, if I could, if I could find the breeder who bred that dog, I, I would, I would get a dog <laughs> off of them. But, um, I've always liked the style of a German short hair. You know, I, I love the spots. I'm, I'm a sucker for them. And, you know, a lot of people say, no, I like the long tail of an English pointer or a setter. And, and yeah. they're beautiful dogs. Don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what these guys and these short hairs, man. Yeah. I have a soft spot for them got a dog you got a short hair his name is pluto his name is pongo oh pongo yeah. so okay, pluto right. was my first dalmatian i had a so when i was oh, a teenager no yeah way. i had a had a dalmatian and you know the floppy ears and all that and well, hey. that pluto thing really stuck with you then oh yeah yeah the whole make yeah <laughs> i wasn't kidding we're a big disney family like we you know we have the the season passes and we're out there all the time. Well, we were out there all the time. Yeah. Right. So yeah, she, we, we named my dog Pongo after the 101 Dalmatians. Ah, there you go, man. That was, one, that was, that was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Man, I should, that's a, I should, I should bust that out and watch that with my son. Uh, it's a good oh. movie. I remember when I, we went out to Kansas, uh, one of my buddy's nephews, he goes, what's your dog's name? Oh no, I didn't even, he didn't even ask that. I was calling him by his name and he goes, Pongo? Like the Dalmatian? It's like, dude, you know, yes, yes, him, exactly. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I guess I haven't thought about that a lot, but you mentioned seeing Mickey Mouse hunting with Pluto and, of course, Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those kind of touch points on hunting. And I don't know that they, I think I was probably curious about it when I was younger. I don't know that they really sparked me one way or the other when i think back on my early memories of like hunting inspiration it was like espn outdoors oh okay waking up on saturday and sunday morning and watching espn outdoors on tv and i've talked about this where i always at that time i saw like german short hairs mm-hmm. on tv and growing up i always knew i wanted a bird dog and to me that bird dog was going to be a german short hair like a liver and roan mm-hmm. german short hair that's what i pictured and 10, 20 years later, I, I have English setters now, but it's just interesting how that stuff sticks with you and like the things that get connected and wired in your brain. So I can, I can relate to you as far as envisioning a short hair right. as a bird dog. Yeah. I mean, he can, he's a great, I mean, he's a great bird dog. You know, it's, it's been a long journey. I tell everybody, you know, they see him and he's very well mannered and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, everybody says, oh, man, I want a dog like that. I was like, you could buy a dog like that, but I can guarantee right. it might not be like him. You know, they don't right. understand the amount of work that goes into one of those dogs. Sure. Oof. How old is Pongo? He is 
five and a half. Okay. Yeah. Five and a half. Yeah. And how did you go about when you said, all right, I'm going to get a German short hair. How did you go about finding, selecting and getting it? So what I knew then was I didn't, I didn't know so much about breeders, but I knew there was like well-known breeders for the bird dog world. Okay. I knew there was breeders through NKC and AKC, those big kennel clubs. And, um, I found one through NKC and was the only one that had short hairs and they were out in Chino Hills in the east would be that southeast of California. And, um, I called her, it was a lady and she, so the female she had, she bred with a male of a hunting club, I guess that they were friends with. But her dog was a service dog, like an emotional dog, service dog yeah. or something like that. And um, she got three out, out of the litter, and she had him was the last one. And I called when I called her, I was like, hey, I was wondering if you had if you had any puppies for sale. And she goes, oh, you know, you're lucky. I just have this one, and it's this much. And I said, well, can I come and look at it? Like, you know, I'm I'm very interested. And that's about as as far as my search went. Like I didn't, I didn't, like yeah. I said, I didn't know breeders and stuff like that. You didn't call I didn't. 20 people. I did not. I tried to that, do yeah. this thing yeah. on my own and, you know, and it worked out. <laughs> I got a pretty good yeah. dog. Yeah. Picked them up. It was a, it was like a four hour drive. Yeah. I picked them up and came okay. back home. Yeah. What was the preparation or what were your early resources? Like when you brought this Barnes dog and home? Noble. Did you have did yeah. you, Barnes and Noble got some and books. got some books? Did you have a did you have a plan of like what you wanted to do? What you wanted I did. To I wanted to have a bird dog. I wanted to have a hunting dog. You know, and and I read and, <laughs> and that's when I started getting into, you know, what it what it was all about. Like as far as having a bird dog, and you know, I can't even tell you how many books I I, I read and and people I've asked and yeah. and time that I put into this guy. You know, it's, it's insane, but yeah, I mean, it's what I saw in the TV, like you said, on TV and stuff like that. That's, that's what I wanted. I wanted that dog yeah. here, you know, and now he's here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. There's, I'm like sensing a lot of parallels in kind of how you came about it in the way that I did. I, again, I, I read a bunch of books. I called a couple of breeders, not a ton of them, but wound up with a dog and I read all those books before I got my first dog. And now I'm six years into it. So again, kind of similar timeline and man, the stuff, the people that I've met and the stuff that I've learned from them in the six years since has been just been crazy. Like beyond the books, the books were my foundation Uh uh, to build on. But now I've come into contact with so many people that have helped me and, just learned so much more about bird dogs and now I, I continue to do it on the podcast and stuff but i i suspect that that's been your experience yeah so all those guys, guys oh dude so some of the guys were dog handlers for the sheriff's department so they they have a pretty good idea on how okay. their dog works and yeah um one of the dudes has uh, poodle pointers i don't know if you heard of those those okay. those ugly yeah, things yeah. um but uh <laughs> Did you just call them ugly dogs? I did. I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of crap for it, but nah, they're they're good dogs. I I like I like poodle pointers. I've never heard of them until my my buddy. That's all he's ran with, and um, yeah. uh, he's he's my source for 
everything that I know is because of him, you know, on how to, you know, how to train my dog, how to re, you know, yeah, it, it, I don't know how else to explain it. He's, he's my book pretty much, you know what I mean? Somebody I could call with the stupidest questions, you know, and he'd be like, Oh no, 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 no. You got to start all over. You're doing it wrong. And okay. (laughs) And sure enough, it works. It's good to have people that'll tell you you're doing it wrong. He's not afraid to tell me I'm stupid either, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you doing NABDA stuff or is it just I'm not. See, and okay. yeah, and I I wanted to. Once I found NAFTA, it was a little too late. Cause I guess the way it works, you have to do the when they're puppies, the what's the one test? The, uh, the utility test. Yeah. Or natural, the natural ability. Natural ability, ability. Test. That's yeah. the first one. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And he, once I found it, it was already, he was too old for it. And I was like, oh, it's, I never even gave it a second thought after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, NAVDA is definitely not a requirement. And as familiar as I am with NAVDA and the workings of it, I'm not the guy to, you know, I've never, I haven't been through it. I haven't put my dogs through any of the testing and there are, there are really good resources on NAVDA and it is a great resource for folks, but not everybody, not everybody goes that route. And you've, you've found other people that you're working with to train your bird dogs. I mean, there's obviously more than one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to skin a cat, of course. So you you had a, you how old was your dog when you met those Quill Forever guys? Was, like, where's the timeline on this? So he was I don't think he was a year yet. Okay, so it was early yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't a year yet. He was a still puppy. He was still a puppy. He must have been like nine, ten months somewhere around there. Yeah, that's when I was like in the deep of it. I got, everything revolved around that dog. Yeah, tell me a little bit about. Your Quail Forever chapter, Quail Forever Ventura, you were in the hat, yeah. you mentioned in the video. What do you guys and girls do? Do you get together often? Do so we would banquets, yep, habitat days. Yep, yep. So we used to do um our meetings were once a month, every Tuesday, at a pizza parlor. Yeah, nice. pizza you know, ice I'm gonna cold have pizza drinks. tonight, man. <laughs> Perfect, right on. <laughs> and um so, you know, we talked about what was our plan for the upcoming month and projects yeah. and stuff like that. And we would, uh, our, our main focus was, uh, you know, the care and rebuilding of guzzlers out here because, you know, I don't know if you heard, but California is always in a drought. So it's, it's hard, it's hard for us to have water out here, I guess, which I mean, it is pretty dry, but I mean, thankfully for these guzzlers, we, we were able to sustain a good bird, uh, a good amount of birds out here because of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, that's our main focus is rebuilding guzzlers and, and make sure that the wildlife out the small game and birds have, uh, have water so we could go out and hunt. Tell me about guzzlers in the sense that I hear about them so much in the context. Like I hear enough context to have an idea of what they are, but honestly, I couldn't draw one. Like if you asked me to draw one, like tell me about a guzzler. What is it? It's- so it's a water tank. They, you know, you have the, your ground, you dig up the ground, you have a tank that goes in, in the ground, and then you okay. have like a dome or some kind of like roof on top of it. So, and the way it's angled, so there's a big, it's, so around the tub, there's a big plate and it's like, it's a big soft surface and it all kind of comes to a point to where the hold to the tank is. So when it rains, all the water and everything goes into the tank and, you know, it has that big cover. So 
the water doesn't evaporate as fast. And then the yeah. openings as just big enough for a bird to go in there. You know, or small, okay. anything that small to go in there. So and get they can water. go get water, be safe from predators, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's it's collecting rainwater and keeping it there so it doesn't evaporate, dry up. Correct. And I know I do know that they are they can be bird magnets because birds need water. Yep, especially out here because you know we are dry. We're on a drought, and these birds yeah. look for water and they know where it's at. And it's, and you know, that's what a lot of people, I get messages because I run our Quail Forever Ventura page and I get a lot of questions on where to find birds and stuff like that. And, you know, I tell them like the biggest thing that I try to do is try to draw people to come and help us rebuild these guzzlers. You know what I mean? And do you come out and help us rebuild the guzzler? You know where it's at. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to give you that information. So, but if you come out and help, you're going to know where it's at. Yeah. So it benefits. What's what happens to them that they need to be rebuilt? They crack over time. They've been there's okay. some you know some of them been out since the 40s and you know okay. just weathered okay. and stuff like that. They crack and they get holes in them. People are just jerks too, and they go out and just bash the things. Like uh, you know, sure. I've gone out there and I've seen TVs, refrigerators out in the middle of nowhere, shot at yeah. shells, and that's what we do too. We go and clean and stuff like that. Yeah, it's that's an interesting thing because again, they they can be, I don't know if magnetic is the right word, but they can pull birds in and like, if you go work on them, you have this knowledge of this spot to go. Are are there any other like, is there like ethical things or considerations about like going and hunting these guzzlers, or is it just kind of like, again, like you pay it forward, like you work on the guzzlers, I mean, you know where they right. are, and you're gonna go, you're gonna go hunt that area, right? And you know, like me, like. I go and work on them and I'm going to be weary of who's around it. You, you know, if I've never seen the person, sure. you're, you're going to be like, Oh, hey, like what are, what's going on? You're like, because you put part of you into that, into that build of the guzzler, you're going to want to take care of it. So, you know, they're not going to want to be destructive or just bring random people because, you know, now they put in work to rebuild this. So they're, you know, my thing is like, I hope that they want they gather more people to come into the club and help. That way we could do this all the time and we have plenty of manpower. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of a nice connection because it is something that you can tangibly go do and you can rebuild this guzzler and boom, it's helping the birds. Whereas, you know, we can, we talk about habitat days and stuff about the grouse woods up here and, and really it's it's the loggers, it's the forestry professionals that are really creating the grouse habitat up here. There are there'll be some rough grouse society chapters that'll go out and plant, say, thorn apple trees uh-huh. or some fruit bearing shrubs, that kind of thing. And it's a nice thing that you can do, but here it's more of the landscape level change that happens through good forestry markets and timber markets and, and wildlife biology and the state agencies and everybody working together to do that stuff. But again, that's that's a unique thing about what I think a lot of bird hunters do in the West is work on those guzzlers and it's something tangible. Right. Right. And like, I've, I've heard, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, it's hard to find birds out here and stuff like that. I've, I've never had a problem. Yeah. Of course, in the beginning, you know, you're trying to figure everything out, but once you, you know, like I said, I got involved with the club. I I know where all the secret spots are. Well, you know, not secret spots, but like the, the ones that are, that are plentiful. So, you have access to information that has 
enabled you to find success. Correct. And that's, that's part of hunting. I mean, there's, in, again, we were talking about mentors. There's information and there's wisdom. There's sage wisdom and knowledge out there in this collective group of people that have been doing it for longer than you and I have, Ruben, that, again, if you approach things with the right attitude, you can gain access to that information. And that's, you know, that stuff gets passed down. That's kind of, that's one of the traditional ways that it has worked. We now have this kind of newfangled way of getting information via all these new content resources, this podcast being one of them. And there's, you know, there's kind of a time and place for all those resources. And that's one way that, that it works. Right. And you got to want to do it. You know what I mean? The, yes. Nothing, nothing's going to be, nobody's just going to be like, here, go, go, go. This is what you need to do and go figure it out. Like you in yourself, you got to really want to do it. You know what I mean? If yeah. you really want to do it, you, like I said, you're going to, you're going to humble yourself and you're just going to ask the right people. You know what I mean? Anybody that'll help. Yeah. I think that would be the, that would be the takeaway is that there are, we still like, I don't know what the golden days are for each, each person has their own mm-hmm. golden days, right. And their own golden era of bird hunting if they so choose. But you still have the we still have the opportunity the public lands and the resources and the birds uh-huh. fortunately to go out there and do it and the access to information has never been easier so again like you said if somebody wants to do it they can do it right the information is there you just got to go look for it well let's talk a little bit about the bird hunting out there in California i'm i may be forgetting somebody but i don't know that i've had a strictly California upland hunter on since we interviewed Robert Jones, who I happened to be, uh, I was messaging with him last night a little bit and he's now, he moved to Montana recently. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's in Montana now. Um, tell me about, you've mentioned quail, but what does, is that your primary focus after the dove season? Then it's quail, quail, quail yeah, for you? Yeah. Quail. I've tried getting chucker. I don't know how those guys do it, man. I, I, I've yet to, <laughs> you know, I'm seeking revenge till this day. And I still can't, I can't find them. <laughs> um, mountain quail up in, in the quail fields where we go at, I mean, the elevation gets up, up there to where there's mountain quail and stuff like that and the pines. And, but I still, I, I've seen them as soon as I see them, they're gone. So, and, and that's as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, quail, valley quail is, it's my, my go-to bird. Valley quail. Tell me about the habitat you find valley quail in. Oh, man. Well, it's it's i don't know like what what does the surrounding look like is it okay i'll start with this because when i was watching your film yesterday you mentioned in the film you mentioned the los padres national Mm -hmm. forest right and that's a pretty big national forest in california correct huge so i i went on google maps and i was checking it out in the satellite interview that that area on satellite imagery Uh i've never i've never set foot there but it looks like it's so contoured, it's all uh, like. Are there mountains there? Is that mountains? It, it's, that's that's the weird thing. Like it's everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have grass fields, like, and then you have your hills. You have your mountains, but I, you know, and you get into places where it's pretty thick. You know, pretty thick cover and stuff like that. But um, you know, I tend to find the most in the dried up riverbeds. Right? You know, okay. they're you see tracks everywhere, you know, and especially like getting into it. That's what I focused on was finding tracks. Once I found the tracks, I knew they were going to be somewhere around there. And it happened to be right near dried up waterbeds. 
fits a dry, arid place. And again, I, where I was going with the satellite imagery, I could see how contoured it was. And there, there are ridge lines and valleys all over the place. So you're probably going to have dry, open cover on tops of those ridges, but down in the bottoms in the coolies or whatever you guys refer to them as dried up riverbeds, you probably have some brush and shrubbery that's left over that's where the birds are is that right yeah yeah i mean like i said they 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 are in in the shrubs and stuff like that but when i how i've gotten into them like they're in big and like in the bigger trees like they roost underneath them by the time we go out there though they're they're flown everywhere so like you know you have to work that whole field and they they tend to come out in the middle of the tall enough grass where they could hide out here Sure. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're testy. They, they definitely, they cover you up pretty big and they come all out at once and they just stand there looking at you right out of a big tree, big pine tree. You know what I mean? Like, so they like a lot of dead, uh, dead trees too, dead bushes. They're, they're in sure. all that. Yeah. Well, you did some banging away on the, on the film. So you obviously found some birds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. And like I said, my dog's, you know, he's, I got to give him credit for it, but yeah, no, um, he, everybody says, trust your dog. So I do, you know, he's the yeah. one who does all the work, you know? Uh, yeah. You gotta, you know, there's a way, I don't know how to explain it. My buddy, Mike would always tell me like, you know, the way a certain landscape looks, if it looks like it has quail, it probably has quail. But, yeah. you know, the way he explained it to me was, you know, if it's cool, if it could get cool to one corner and come around like like a, like a water, like a dried up creek or a big area with enough place for them to run, that's your go-to. Yeah. How does your dog, how does he work out there? How does he cover ground? Is he 150 yards out in front of you? Is he more, Is he closer than that? How does he work? So I've, that's what I've been working on this off season is to try to get his range out a little bit more. Um, he, I've been getting him out to 120 yards and uh, he used to be pretty close. He would run no more than 40, 50 yards in front of me, but now he, he ranges out pretty far, 120, 130 yards. Pretty, pretty good for me. I think uh, that's, I'm sticking to that right now. I, I like how he, he holds his point gives me enough time to run over there and walk up behind him and, and shoot him out. So yeah, he's, he's 120, 130 yards. Well, is that a, like a long range? I don't think that's a very long ranging dog. Is it? The spectrum on that is so great, right? You've got, and we're talking pointing dogs mm-hmm. here. So you could have pointing dogs that could work, you know, 30 to 50 yards. Right. Like you said, some pointing dogs could work six, 700 yards. Right. right? Again, it's a very big spectrum, a hundred, 120 yard, 20 yards in i would imagine that visibility is pretty good you can probably keep eyes on them pretty well in that country yeah no well see that's i invested in a gps collar because i would lose them you know and and he would be i'm there's been a couple times where he was on point and i couldn't find him i couldn't find him i would walk around and finally i give up i start calling him and sure enough he starts running towards me and there's a cubby of quail fly out of a bush (laughs) oh man like did you have a beeper or no, anything nothing, on him at that nothing. time? Just nothing. I okay. just ran yeah. the e collar on him, and I yeah. invested in one of the those Garmin GPS collars. And oh, right. dude, I never go away from that thing ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's something that when I got my first dog six plus years ago, the Garmin collars were out, and you know that's that's a new thing in the world of bird dogs. Mm-hmm. For a long time, folks ran without those things, and I, boy, oh boy, I don't envy that because. 
in the woods, like uh, having the GPS on my dog is a, it's a lot of peace of mind. And, and I hear that same thing from men and women that have been doing it for a lot longer than me. I mean, they, they use GPS now too, because it's nice to know where your dog is. Right. And like, you know, like you were saying about the cover, the cover out here sometimes is, is like chest high. You know what I mean? And you know, if you don't, if your dog happens to come up on a bird and it happens to be in that tall ass bush stuff, yeah, you're not going to find them. You know, and and I see a lot of people put like a like a long rod from their collar, oh, on the, really? yeah, with a little flag oh, on top. You know, going through there. <laughs> but I, you know, wow. yeah, I just I, I didn't I didn't think that was completely necessary. I always thought I could find him, and he never. I will always found him, but you know, I had him break a, break a point because I was afraid that he had gone somewhere else, and right, you know, and yeah. of course, quail fly out. And you don't really want to do, you, know, no, you don't want no, to pull your right. dog off birds. So having the GPS collar is, that's a good right. thing. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing about a pointing dog is when they find a bird, they're, they're still, they're quiet. Mm-hmm. You're not going to no, find them. No, you're not. You're not going to find them. You knew where they, where they were. Or, and again, that's in the olden days of running bird dogs, I could imagine that it was finding your dog was a lot more complicated than it is now. Yeah. You know, and like, I could see where like, out in Kansas and like in the flat states where there isn't very high, you have what cut off cornfields and like somewhat yeah. high brush, like not even ankle high grass. You're not going to lose your dog. It's flat out there. You know what I mean? But out here, I mean, I, I think it's more necessary than it would be in places like that. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a demand thing, but again, that technology is becoming so accessible that it's, it ain't cheap. You know, there's still, no, the car, the collars are definitely not cheap. And when you add up all the things up and up and hunting doesn't have to be expensive, right. but it can can right. like anything else. Right. But yeah, it, it, I'll be going out to North Dakota here in a couple of weeks and out there, do you need a GPS? No, need is definitely relative, but I already have one, so of course my dog's gonna be wearing right. it because in the in the if he does get down in some autumn olives or some sh- on the other side of some shrubs or whatever, I'm gonna I'm gonna know where he's at. I'm curious about your shooting a little bit, just because did you? Well, you you told me you you used to shoot. You were shooting pigeons mm-hmm. and stuff at a young age. So you had early exposure to firearms. Do you do do you do any target shooting or is it pretty much just shooting? At no, birds? we do target shooting. I've been getting my wife involved. And uh, we go out, and like I said, I take my son and stuff. All three of us will go out, and uh, we'll go to our. Tra- um, there's a a gun club out in uh, Santa Clarita that we go to, and they have nice little trap sets. So we go out and do that. Spend an hour or two out there till somebody's shoulder starts to hurt, and we'll come home. But yeah, it's definitely it's different though. You know, I will say like I'm pretty good at knocking clays out of the air. But when your heart is pumping and you see that cubby fly out, like you don't even know yeah. which one to point at sometimes. And you're like, oh, you don't even take the shot, you know? So, yeah. and yeah, they're more unpredictable than, than, a, than a clay flying across. Nothing quite like the real thing. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> That's cool. Um, when you did that film, was Zach out there from CZ? Zach was out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he he, man, out. that guy, Zach gets to go do Right, all the fun dude. Stuff. <laughs> I tell him he has the best job that I've ever heard of. And, you know, he, he, he's humble about it. He, he knows he, yeah. he has a good gig and stuff like that. But yeah, he had never hunted, uh, Valley Quail. So I'm glad I put him on, on, I put in, uh, quite a show for him it was good he, he got into a good amount and and um he said he, he's gonna come back i said when you do call me dude we'll we'll get you on quail again yeah did he uh did he put a few birds in the bag oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. 
Good yeah, deal. he did. He did. I think he took one out to get a to get a taxidermy. Oh, okay. So, Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, are you shooting a CZ shotgun now? I am the what Wing Shooter Elite. Oh, you got one of those? Yeah, those are one nice those. guns. I like the, with the the they have the silver receiver and kind of the black accents on there. Those are yeah, and all the engraving and stuff guns. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful gun, beautiful gun. Um, and uh, my son's shooting the quail, the CZ quail. The oh yeah, the quail. smaller one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he loves that thing, man. So yeah, no, I used to shoot a. I used to shoot a Mossberg, uh, what is it, the Silver, Silver Reserve or something like that? Oh, yeah, like yeah, over-under. Yeah, the over-under. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, I started with the 870, yeah. you know, the nice. good old me, 870. Me too. <laughs> you still have your 870? I still do. Yeah, and that's, what, do that, that's the one I'm going to take out for Dove because I get three shots out of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> nice. well, yeah, yeah, those things, uh, they, they can definitely last a long time. I have the I have the, the youth model, 870 oh, Express, 21-inch wow. uh-huh. barrel. I shot some grouse oh, wow. with that thing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's what I hear that you, you know, for grouse, the, to shoot grouse, you need a smaller gun. Nah. Well, not uh, smaller. I'm sorry. Shorter. Shorter barrels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the barrels thing I was talking about, I was actually shooting some clays earlier today and was talking about how it, it seems like from from what you can gather from the research and like looking at guns like barrel length is kind of one of those things that it's almost like fashion trends like okay. there was a time when shorter barrels were more in vogue than they are now i would say now longer barrels are kind of like more of the rage and i think some of that's being pushed by like the sporting clays guys and they're shooting 32 and 34 inch barrels but a lot of the old upland guns were 26 inches the old churchill guns were 25 inches i have a browning satori upland special that has mm-hmm. 20 24 inch barrels oh wow yeah and i always wanted one of those things and i i killed some birds with that but oh, is that a 20 gauge it's a 20 gauge yep it's a 20 gauge and straight grip on it i like that oh, okay. 24 inch barrels but now like ha- having shot a few more guns and shot some guns with longer barrels i definitely prefer like the 28 inches is a, a very nice versatile barrel length i think for the upland hunting that i do I think it's also one of those things that folks can get a little bit carried away with. Like the difference between 26 and 28 is kind of minimal. Yeah, it's minimal. And it really, it's gun to gun. Like what is the balance? What is the feel of the gun? How does the gun fit you? There's no reason why you can't shoot a 26 inch barreled gun well, but there, there are some, I think there's some reasons to have the longer barrels can affect the balance and swing and follow through and that sort of thing. But yeah, I don't shoot my my 870 with a 21 inch barrel. I don't shoot that much anymore. But <laughs> I imagine my two and a half year old son. He's got a few years ahead of him, but he'll probably shoot it someday. That's, that's going to be and it right there. He'll probably me. shoot that 24 inch Browning Satori too. I'll probably hang on to that one too. Oh, nice. Yeah, that that's that's a that'll be a beautiful gun for him to shoot. So, is your wing shooter elite is a 12 gauge? It is. Okay, I'm a 12 guy, 12 gauge guy, man. Yeah. Like I don't, you know, I I shot the 20 20 gauges and. I just don't, I don't like missing, you know, my, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. So I'm sure there'll come a time where I'll, I'll start carrying a 20 gauge, but not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, a 12 gauge is a pretty darn effective shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like, again, that's another, like sub gauges are all the rage, you know, people mm-hmm. like sub gauges and that's because they're effective, but that doesn't mean right. the 12 is any less effective than 12 has been doing effective things in the uplands for a long, long time. For a long time. Yeah. What, um, now you guys have, you can't shoot lead shot over there nope. in California. What nope. do you shoot? All steel. I shoot the federal upland seven and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That, that yeah. stuff just came out last year. So you started shooting that right away. 
Yeah, it was what? Or was it a couple um, years ago? No, I think it was last season is when I found it. And I started shooting that and I was like, oh, dude, this is this is good stuff, man. I was shooting uh, Fiocchi. Yeah. Yeah, I was yep. shooting Fiocchi and then... Um, You're when, saying pre-lead ban? Lead, no, the lead ban started two years ago. Two years ago. So they ago. started, yeah, in 2019 season. So it was kind of like 2018 to 2019, 2019 to 2020 was when it was really implemented. Like, okay. that's it. Yeah. But um, I started shooting it just so I get used to it. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I found that you don't lead with steel. I found out the hard way. It's different. It's very different. It's faster, very different. faster shot, way different, faster. different sight picture. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, interesting. Very yeah, I so so you now have shot that federal seven and a half shot steel upland load. That's like mm-hmm. fifteen hundred feet per second. It is fifteen hundred feet per second. Okay, and you have you found that it's been effective. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But your sight picture and the way you're looking at the birds is different. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Did did you? sort that out on the clays range or how did you how no, did you well, like you come to terms with steel that steel on at our gun uh ranges we can't shoot steel really yeah it's Why? all lead i <laughs> i don't know they will they won't they will not let you shoot steel shells so you can't even like if you want to pattern a gun you have to know a buddy with property for you to shoot huh yeah yeah california is weird man that sounds weird <laughs> to me i i know that a lot of shooting ranges will have a shot size limit. So like they don't want you shooting anything less than a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. And because that is, that's like a carry distance for the pellets. They don't want the pellet spraying everywhere. Right. And previously to like the loads, like I know one of the reasons why federal came out with the load that you're shooting seven and a half shot steel, that was a load that we didn't see much of that prior to, uh, I think recently I I'm just, I'm just going on, what I know, I, I'm not. Well, I know they had this, but... like for in lead, it was seven and a half was a go to. Like that right. was that was it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they made it in steel. It was like, oh, no brainer. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm I'm just wondering if you know they were if that if the range that you're talking about if they had that no steel because it was they didn't have seven and a half or I I guess no, I have no I idea. Don't, it's not yeah, worth speculating about. Yeah. But. No. I, they have signs all over the place like no steel shot, lead only. Huh. And yeah, that and now you know so weird to me. And you know what? It's and it's weird now. Like to find lead shot to go to a shooting range is hard to come across. Right, that's got to be a, like totally flipped on you now. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there's some there's some obvious logical reason why that is. Maybe a California listener can email me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I let's hope no so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as you find out, let me know because I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I know there's you know. Since I I could remember, I seen the signs and I just never questioned it. I just like oh, you right. know, it won't even bother. Yeah. So just shoot with the lead and then figure it out on steel when it comes time. Yeah. Now you did mention that you you have done some out of state hunting. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about those trips a little bit. Um, I have a buddy that a uh, coworker. He's from Kansas and. Uh, he invited me one day. I think he was kind of like a, like a, just a throw out an invitation, like sure. to see if I bit. And um, I was sure like, enough, you did. Sure <laughs> enough, I hook, I ain't sinker, man. I was like there. I was like Kansas, count me in. <laughs> and uh, no, he was he was cool, man. Good hospitality. He took us in. He has a house out there. We I took uh, me and my family went out there. We made a little trip of it. We drove there um, and we flew back. 
Okay. And, uh, yeah, it, it was fun. It's different. What'd you do it's, with the truck? Uh, well, okay. So get this. <laughs> we were going to fly out there originally. And yeah. uh, I had another friend that lives in Illinois. And he says, Hey, if you drive my truck and my truck and trailer out to Kansas, and when you fly out, you leave it at the airport, he goes, I'll pay you. I'll give you the money to fly back. He goes, and, and I'll give you all your fuel, fuel money for the truck. Yeah, he goes, so there. I just, oh. I just, I just need it there. And then I'll pay you for the fly back. Wow, I was like, cool. that was like a no brainer. I was like, yeah. yeah, dude, I'll put the miles on your truck. That's no problem. <laughs> Free travel for your hunting right, trip. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it all worked out. And, cool. uh, yeah. So we parked it there and, and we flew back and I didn't know it was so expensive to fly, fly a dog, man. They almost Ooh. didn't let me bring, bring it back. Cause it was, in, I haven't done that. It was in November. And I guess, you know, when the, planes go up a certain altitude to get oh, super cold and cold yeah yeah so they wouldn't let me fly the dog back i had to call my vet have them email a letter saying that it would be okay if the dog flies i had like everything you could think of in that kennel i had blankets he had a cover on <laughs> like dude i don't want my dog to die but i need i right. need to fly him home yeah and uh no i think like after an hour on the phone and emails and he finally let us in and and never again will i fly my dog yeah, yeah. I I've heard I've heard from some folks that hey, it's not that bad, but then I hear something like that and it's like, boy, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Yeah, it's expensive too. Yeah. <clears throat> was that last fall? No, that was four uh 4 years ago. Okay. How was the hunt? Chasing pheasants? Yeah, we did. Okay. We did. We chased a couple of pheasants and uh it was like you would see on TV. It was it was beautiful. Like you'd yeah. see the wild birds flush out, and you know, in front of you, I've never seen a, a rooster flush. So it was it was amazing for me to see an experience for sure. Um, and uh, I bought a, a deer tag, a doe tag, because oh. if you were a non-resident, you couldn't show shoot a buck. Yeah. And then uh, I had a beautiful six-point buck in my crosshairs, but I didn't take the shot because I didn't have a tag. You for didn't it. have a tag. Dang, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. Did you, Did you see a doe? I did prior to getting the tag. Oh, damn. So that, that, that prompted you to go get your tag. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, dude, uh, perfect. I see all these does the day that we went, the first day we went out. And then the second day we went out and didn't see one at all. Well, that sounds predictable. You see yeah, all the right? birds until you, you see all the animals until you have a license. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> they go. Yeah, that sounds right. Any trips planned or, or big plans for hunting season this year or just going to kind of hang there? And- well, I'm trying to catch up with Matt. He he has an open Harding? invitation. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to get after some chucker. Let's see if he really means it. Or He's it got a little just... baby to look after this. Uh, right. I, yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> you know all I see about him, that, Ruben. <laughs> oh yeah. I, you know, I see him fishing with them, and they have right. him in the little baby pack. The same thing. Just put earmuffs on him. He'll do just fine. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Now, there's um. I just listened to. Just recently, um, Travis Warren, the Up Trucker podcast. Mm-hmm, I don't know if you mm-hmm. listened to that, but he interviewed John Lyman. Uh, I may be getting his name young. The Upland Yogi dude. Um, and I actually call. I called him this week because I wanted to talk to him about yoga. Believe it or not. <laughs> and, oh really? Uh, yeah, I was. I was chatting with him, but he he chases Chucker in Southern California. I know that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you should listen uh, to that episode, man. I'm gonna it have was, to. It was just a few back, maybe episode like 63 of the Up Chucker podcast. Good episode, okay. interesting guy, and uh, he chases Chucker in Southern California. If, if you, uh, ooh, interesting, you yeah. And I, I've listened to his podcast, and I, yeah, I've listened to his podcast. I can't believe I 
the Upland Yogi is his name? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what uh, that's what Travis referred to him as. His he name goes is, by. Yeah. Oh, name, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good one for you. But other than that, you try to get out with Harding and sure. and do some hunting around there. Yeah, try yeah. to go up there. Get I'm trying to get after some mountain quail this year too. Okay, some mountain birds, mountain birds for sure. They're on my list. Any other out-of-state trips that you really would like to do or not thinking about that right now? No, not not really. You know, who knows if it's even going to be possible with this right. whole COVID thing. Yeah. But it would be nice. You know, Kansas, I have an open invitation there, too. And I know Zach lives out there, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, if, if if all goes well for me, I will hopefully be paying Zach a visit down there this fall. Ooh, so nice. I, that'll be my first trip to Kansas and my first real trip chasing pheasants and, and hopefully quail down there. So I'm excited about that. Nice. But again, like you said, everything's kind of up in the air. We, mm-hmm. I mean, especially once the once the weather changes in the season, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm, yeah. I've got things on my calendar, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm the same, you know, just trying to go out as much as I can this season. If you, let's say you want to go hunting, how far do you got to go to get to where you want to go, like, you know, generally? Um, Hour and a half. Okay, so that's, yeah, you can Not do bad. day trips, you can go oh, yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We go out there, leave my house around 6 in the morning, get there around seven thirty, eight o'clock, perfect, then come back noon, 1. You know, we don't stay out there too long. Yeah. Weather wise, weather wise, when is like the really good hunting? Like, wh- I'd imagine early season's hot out there. It and, is hot, yeah. So yeah like, especially if you're the- running your dogs. Um, I say late November to mid. Uh huh. Starts to get good, nice and cool. You wear a t-shirt, and you know it, it's cool in the morning. Cool in the morning. You, yeah. yeah, you wear your t-shirt, and you know you you start getting hot you know yeah. you're running around and yeah. stuff like that so like t-shirt works just fine and once you once you, you could do that you, you could hunt all day out there but i'd say yeah mid-november to mid you know to mid-december the perfect ideal hunting times out there where it's not too hot yeah right on man well, hey, if there's if there's anybody listening, other California people listening, I just got a message actually from somebody this week. He he actually spent some time here where I'm at in Duluth. He lived here for a little bit. He now lives in California. Oh, he's wow. just new diving into upland hunting, and he's actually asked me about finding mentors and and making connections. So I'm gonna ask you, Ruben, like. What's what's your recommendation for people that are wanting to get into upland hunting in California? And it can be it can be beyond California, but what would your advice Look be? for your local Quail Forever chapters, man? Yeah. I'm I'm a big advocate for that. You know, yeah. just, they're they're there for a reason. You know, they're not just there to hang out and drink beer, and you know, yeah. they're there to help. Those out. are the perks. Those are the perks. Those are the perks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, they're definitely there to help. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. take take full advantage. Take full advantage of it well i uh, i appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast ruben this has been fun man i uh i would be Thank uh, you. i'd be thrilled if our, if our paths cross at some point and i know you're uh you're contributing and kind of working on some stuff with project upland which is cool uh the title of the film this exists this exists it's out right now it is i'll uh, i'll link that in the show notes people should definitely go check it out they get a little taste for the upland hunting that you do out there in california and uh wish you the best of luck this season man let's keep in touch thank you sir absolutely same to you all right buddy you have a good one all right you too later ribbon later 
All right, that does it for this episode of the Project Up and Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. A quick reminder that the podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast for your chance to win the Project Upland podcast giveaway. And head over to projectupland.com for more of the Upland birds, dogs, guns, and gear that you love. Until we see you back here for the next episode of the Project Upland podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.